listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are going to be discussing Bill Ward's debut solo album, Ward One, Along the Way. Released on January 10th, 1990, it would be the first time the public had heard from Bill since his playing on the Born Again album in 1983. Ward One, Along the Way would feature numerous guest musicians, including Jack Bruce of Cream fame, Eric Singer, who would later join KISS, and Bob Daisley of Rainbow Sabbath and Ozzy fame. Speaking of Ozzy, he would be featured on two songs, Jack's Land and Bombers Can Open Bomb Bays. He would also be featured in the later song's video. The album would find Bill showcasing his diverse musical writing style across 12 songs. Unfortunately, the album was not met with much fanfare outside of the hardcore Sabbath fans, and it would be another seven years before Bill released his next solo album, When the Bow Breaks. Okay, Darren, uh, Bill Ward, his first solo album, Ward One, along the way. What do you remember about this album? What are your thoughts on it? I remember it, it kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I didn't hear anything about it. I didn't see any advertisements or anything. But I was uh, at Tower Records in Philadelphia on South Street. And I was going from A to Z, as I would normally do, looking for new releases and things that looked interesting to pick up and um when i got to uh i'm not sure if it was in the black sabbath section or if it was in the in the w but i came across the bill ward solo album ward one along the way but i had to take a double take because the album cover was so bizarre and i wasn't even sure it's like is this the the bill ward black sabbath bill ward or is this another guy named bill ward because if you You've seen the album cover, at least the original album cover. There's a second pressing that had a different, more subdued cover picture of Bill. But on on the original album, it has a picture of him, and he's sort of dressed like a like a circus carnival barker or something. He's got a derby, and he's got like a madras mismatched madras jacket and pants set, and he's holding a cane, and he's He's got a uh, a bass drum on his back, and there's other little pick, little Bill Wards that would look like little Bill Wards around the album cover. It's a very bizarre album cover, and it, I wasn't really sure that this was Bill Ward Black Sabbath. But then, upon closer inspection and looking at the face, I'm like, that's Bill Ward. But what a strange album cover! So I I wasn't going to take a chance on it. I decided not not to buy it. Um, I think maybe it was a couple months later then watching MTV I saw maybe it was a world premiere video of uh, the Bill Ward song Bombers Can Open Bombays and of course um, I was curious to see that and it, it takes a little while to get to the point there's some intro and stuff and it builds up and, and Ozzy's in the video and Ozzy's singing of course and I I really liked the song. I thought it was a great song. It, it didn't really sound like Black Sabbath, but it, it didn't sound like Ozzy Solo either. It, it sounded kind of unique. And it 
it's kind of hard to describe if you haven't heard the music on this album. It, it's kind of hard to describe. It's very eclectic. Um, but the song Bombers Can Open Bombays, I thought, was really interesting. And it it, it piqued my interest in, in buying the album. Um, when I went to go back and get it, it wasn't there. But I did find it on cassette. So I bought it on cassette and I've had it ever since. Now, I liked Bombers Can Open Bombays going from beginning playing the album or the, or the cassette from the beginning to the end didn't really i didn't dislike it i i didn't hate it but i didn't love it i fell somewhere in the middle and i didn't really listen to it after maybe one or two times i kind of put it aside for for several years um, and in fact, it wasn't until we did our video for Lair the Alchemist with when we were talking to Tony Dio about it, that uh, it was shortly before that, that I, I, I got into it. I, I dug it out. I listened to it and I really, really enjoyed it. And every and I've listened to it since I enjoyed it so much. Just recently, I've been revisiting it pretty frequently. And I every time I listen to it, I, I like it a little bit more. So. I don't think, I, in some ways, I, I, I kind of think of it as ahead of its time. It, it's such a unique album. And as we go from song to song, like we always do, um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about how what the, the elements are that make it unique and, and why it is it, such an interesting album. And I think it it may have been from from my vantage point, I think it came out, it was a little bit ahead of its time. I, I think it's I think it's something that really has to like sink in. I, I don't know that there's many people that are really enthusiastic about this album. Um there probably are. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were, but you don't hear a lot of people talking about it. You don't see in Black Sabbath discussions where people are just raving up one side or the other about how great <laughs> Bill Ward ward one along the way is but it really is a great album and there's a lot of there's a lot of bill's personality in this and um when we talk when we talk about the members of black sabbath and each of them having their own their own personality their own own strong individual identity bill ward certainly has his own as well as tony iomi and ozzy and and geezer and that identity is so strong on this album that Bill doesn't have to write a book. I think this is Bill's book. I think this this album is Bill's biography. If you could get in there and you can like read the lyrics and decipher some of the meanings, I think you would probably unravel the mystery of Bill and what makes Bill tick. There's there's so many abstract references and and things going on in this album that every time i listen to it i hear something new i hear some some different phrase in the lyrics that pique my curiosity and it really is a fascinating album and i don't think i was ready i, I don't think i could appreciate it at the time that it came out but i i can now and i think it just has to do with having a little bit more musical experience under my belt um and that's certainly a testament to uh, to Bill and, and his vision for his musical vision for this album, that it was something that you really couldn't appreciate until you become a little bit more musically savvy or until you have qualified your tastes with enough 
musical experience where you can appreciate it for what it is. And that, that's pretty much where I am. Um, and like I said, when I first discovered it, I, it, it was something that I, I wasn't quite sure about. Um, some songs, bombers can open Bombay's and the other song that really jumped out at me at the time was Jack's land. I really like those songs, um, but that was pretty much the extent of it. Now I, I like the whole album. Some songs more than others, but there isn't really a song that I dislike. And the sequence of the album is almost conceptual. It's, um, yeah, it, it's really, really cool. It's, it's a really cool album. So that's where I am with it. Yeah, this is an interesting album for me. I this was at a time in my life i was in college i had and i talk about this on my youtube channel i've mentioned it here on the podcast i had sort of drifted away from metal uh i was living in a studio apartment with no television completely cut off not reading any magazines or anything so like you i had no idea that that this was even that this was even coming at the time my girlfriend who's now currently my wife uh, was working at the college radio station. She had a metal show and the director of the metal shows, whatever you know, you will call it. He showed, he showed it to me. They had, they had the album and he made a cassette copy of it for me. And I can remember looking at the cover and thinking, what is this? Is, is that even <laughs> Bill? I mean, as you were talking, I'm I'm looking at the album cover here on I I have it on CD now, but I was looking I'm looking at it here on the internet and I'm blowing it up and I'm looking at it. And I'm still not 100 sure that that's that's Bill. And at the time, I had hadn't seen a picture of Bill since. And I went in and uh, before we did this. I went and I, I looked for pictures of Bill with the Born Again era with with Ian Gillen in the band. And there's not many pictures of Bill because he didn't tour with the band. And I'm guessing that they didn't do their official press photos and all that stuff till after Bill was out of the band. So I had effectively not really seen a picture of Bill since probably pictures of him from the 70s or maybe some Live pictures Aid. of him when he was Live at Live Aid. Aid. Yeah, yeah, that was probably the last time that I had seen seen bill and uh so i just didn't know what to make of this album cover i thought it was so bizarre i was like is that even bill on the on the cover it just yeah. seems so weird to me the name seems strange ward one along the way it's like I, I didn't that seemed very strange but i was expecting uh in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is Bill Ward, the drummer for Black Sabbath. There's going to be a lot of drums on this record. Mm -hmm. And this is going to really be like, I was envisioning, uh, this is going to be like the first Black Sabbath album. You're going to hear a little bit of jazzy influence because that's where Bill comes from. But there's going to just be a lot of drums on this record. There aren't a lot of drums on this record. I mean, if you played this for somebody, I don't even know if you'd be able to tell <laughs> that it was Bill on it. And on top of that, years later now i had just gotten a cassette with no information on it i can't remember at the time if the album that i was looking at at the uh, radio station even had information on the back about who was on this but as i learned later on 
Bill doesn't even play drums on on all these songs. So that was the first thing when I heard the album, I was sort of taken aback by, I was expecting a lot of drums. You don't hear a lot of drums on it. I was also completely confused because in my mind, I was thinking, okay, here's Bill Ward from Black Sabbath. It's going to be heavy and it's not heavy. I mean, there are some moments where it does get heavy and it is heavy more in atmosphere and mood. But as far as like distorted guitar and power chords, there's not a whole lot of it on the album. So I gave it a bunch of a couple listens. And like you, I like the songs with Ozzy on it, uh, Bombers and uh, Jack's Land. Those jumped out at me because because Ozzy's on it. But I just didn't get it. I mean, I listened to it. I had no idea what was going on. Without the liner notes, there's other people that sing lead vocals on some of these songs. We'll get into that as we go through them. Without the liner notes, I was is is this Bill singing? I'm like, what is, what is going on here? I just Not couldn't I couldn't understand the album. Now, all that being said, I I then got the album, had that cassette for for years, and I got it on CD. I don't remember when I got it on CD, but I got it pretty early in the whole, I think I got it off of eBay or something like that. And when I revisited, I then began to really understand it more and appreciate it more. And for me, the album has a, has a feel. It, it reminds me of Roger Waters era, Pink Floyd, a Roger Waters solo album. Maybe if it just had a little bit more, some heavier guitar on it, because there's a, there's, there's it almost feels like a concept album in in some ways because the songs do very much flow one into into the other it does feel like there is some storytelling and in, in maybe like a diary like autobiography type fashion uh bill's voice even when he sings sometimes when he's in that kind of speak half speaking half singing type of thing reminds me of roger waters the sound effects and stuff and stuff like that uh so i've grown to really really uh like this album i really enjoy this album uh it really makes me realize you know when you when you think about the original sabbath lineup they always credited everybody everybody was credited on all the songs except for like fluff and stuff like the instrumentals which would just go to Iomi, but they, it was most of the songs were listed. Iomi, Ward, Butler, Osborne. So you never really had a feel like who's contributing what to you just assume, okay, Iomi's doing the riffs, Skeezer did the lyrics, et cetera, et cetera. But I never was 100% sure, like, well, what is, what is Bill contributing to the band? And listening to this album really makes me think that maybe Bill was kind of the uh, hidden weapon of the band if you will like his sense of arrangements and his sense of melody and now when you go down the songs he co-writes these songs with with other people and i did hear an interview with bill once where he was talking about how he goes about writing music and he mentioned that he can pluck out some chords on a guitar and a piano and he tends to just kind of hum uh things and he's like i'll just i'll hum something that will sound like a good melody or to sound like a good riff. And he even gave an example to the person who this was an audio interview. And he goes, you know, it might be something like this. And he sings something and they're like, wow, that is, that's kind of cool. And he goes, and he even says that he's like, yeah, that he goes, that, that's kind of a cool little thing right there. That might be something that I could use in a song. So you, you do get the sense that maybe Bill 
was sort of this kind of creative guy in a very sort of conceptual uh, way that the album, the songs are not your typical three minutes and 30 seconds, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar, solo out type of thing. Uh, the arrangements are all kind of unique. Uh, when I first heard the album, I couldn't appreciate this, but later on when I got it on CD, I was able to appreciate the textures on this record. It's very much a headphone album. It's very well produced. It sounds like there was a lot of money that was, that was put into it. Uh, there's a lot of guest musicians on it, which make each song sound a little bit different, different guitar players and, different people singing and uh, there's just a lot going on. There's a lot of sounds. It's very well put together. Uh, and it is, it's, it's one of these really interesting albums that uh, I really enjoy going back to it. And as we get into the individual songs, like especially the Ozzy songs, it really makes me wish that maybe Bill and Ozzy, it, like if Bill had been in the, Ozzy solo band at some point it really makes me think like boy I wonder his influence yeah on that because again there's just a lot of really cool kind of interesting little twists and turns in these songs and each song is kind of its own little thing there really isn't anything on here that sounds like a throwaway type there's no like blues jam type song or three minute pop song that they were hoping for a radio hit you know it really does feel like a really well thought out almost concept like uh concept like album so yeah it's something didn't like it at first because i think it just caught me in a weird time in my life yeah. i was expecting something different this is 1990 and you know what's going on on the radio at this time we're getting ra radio era white snake and uh, you know, the hair metal thing is, is about to implode. And it just was so bizarre to me in the beginning. I just, I just didn't know what, to, what to make of it. And it took, took me some time. It took years later for me to uh, finally be able to really appreciate this album. But I, but I really do now. It was definitely coming out at a really challenging time for an album like this to be uh, appreciated. We had 1989, 1990. Wow, I remember. Um, yeah, there was like I think grunge had just really first started to rear its head on the mainstream music world at that point. I know that Soundgarden, Louder Than Love, was was a buzz record at that time, and I think mm -hmm. probably first Nirvana, Bleach was was making the rounds and. And then there was like, I think Pantera came out with Cowboys. Was that around the time of Cowboys from Hell? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. It was sort of the winds were changing. It was the winds were changing, and it was it was very easy for an album like this to get lost, and uh, and it did, I think. But it also it didn't have a lot of support behind it. I mean. Wasn't the type of thing where he got a band together and he was playing shows or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, I don't think he toured more for like, us at all. Yeah. yeah, it was more like a studio thing where he, and it was just, I guess, when he was ready to do it, uh, 89, 90. I guess he recorded it in 89. It came out in 1990. Um, yeah, there was no fanfare behind it. It just thought the, the record label is, is Chameleon. Never heard of them. I don't know if they're like a, uh, 
know if they're like a, a subsidiary of a different label or something like that. But I mean, the distribution was decent because I, I could found it in Tower Records, but I'm not sure that it would have had the same availability in like mom and pop stores and things like that. But in the larger chains, it was it was available. Um, when we, I, I agree with everything you said, um, but I, I'm not crazy about the production. I, I, there is a lot going on. But I don't think it's mixed very well. It's it seems like it's it's a little bit um, ambitious for the budget that he may have had at the time. I don't see any. And I'm looking over the liner notes here. The an engineer is a guy named Peter R. Kelsey. Yeah, I've never heard of him before. And there's a bunch of assistant engineers. The executive producer was a guy named Mike Starve. So we don't have any recognizable engineers or, or producers involved with this record and i think that bill probably came armed with a lot of ideas and a lot of inspiration about how to put this album together and, and how to make this these songs sound a certain way but unfortunately i don't think he really had the budget to do it successfully i would love to see this album remix and remastered i think it would i think it would be amazing i i would, I, I regret that that's my one regret about this album is that I just wish that I that everything was more audible. There's some things that are just smashed together. There's a lot of things going on. There's there's sound effects. There's there's uh, instruments. There's there's things going on in the background. But when I listen to it, at least on my cassette, it's just all kind of like it sounds very flat. It's very flattened out. Um, I think it's really digital. And that's probably one of the problems here. It wasn't. This is still, I guess, at the, at the place in in history where some people were still recording analog, but I think digital was probably where everybody was moving to, and and that's probably how this was recorded, which is unfortunate because it doesn't really breathe the way that I think this album begs to, with all the different nuances and subtleties and atmospheric things going on and layers of guitar and keyboards there's keyboards in virtually every song on here yeah um, and, and so there's a lot there's a lot going on and it really needs to have somebody with the right level of expertise to get in there and mix this album to a point where everything can is audible and can be appreciated in the spirit in which it was intended um the uh when you reference roger waters that was absolutely especially especially with the first song it reminded me a lot of uh either radio chaos or amused to death yeah Maybe it was amused to death with the, like the the, the the broadcast uh sound bites and things like that it also has like this sense of urgency it, it's kind of hard to describe but it, when you come away from this album there's not nothing that it's not like a feel-good album it's not like a rock and roll record where you know you're entertained by it it, it almost you, the feeling i get is like I just listened to this. I should, I, I'm like feeling kind of like, <laughs> I'm kind of like stunned. What did I just hear? What was all this about? I don't, I don't understand what's going on, but I appreciate it for the tone, the overall tone that it has. It's kind of, it's kind of dramatic. It's kind of sad. It, it's a little anxious in certain areas, but it has a very unusual emotional vibe to this record i don't know how to describe it if you've heard the album anybody that are listening if you've heard this album you probably know what i'm talking about it doesn't give you the same feeling that anything that iomi had done mm -hmm. with his various 
incarnations of Black Sabbath. It doesn't sound like any Aussie records. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a thing unto itself. And 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 like I said, I think earlier, it it definitely it it suit it's suitable to Bill because you would looking at Bill and and you know hearing some of the stories and and, and even some of his contributions with with Black Sabbath. It, it's it, it's all right on Technical Ecstasy. That was like kind of like this this song that was sort of like this. Beatles esque yeah. song that ended up on a Black Sabbath album. You're like, wow, where did that come from? Wow, it came from the mind of Bill Ward. Well, this is more continuation of the mind of Bill Ward, but in a very conceptual, um, con- yeah, very conceptual way that I, 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 I still don't know what's going on, but I feel like it's something really important. <laughs> it's something, yeah, something and, and very it's... poignant in going on here, and it's it's like you know it's a soundtrack to whatever Bill was had on his mind at the time. Yeah, and there are there is no, I don't want to say fun songs, but you know you're not getting like there's no rock and roll doctor on here with like fun boogie woogie songs or anything like that. It's, it's all weird. kind of the tone of it, like you said, is feels kind of serious it has a very collage like i when i listen to this album i always think of like some sort of like a modern art picture where it's like a collage of different random images and they somehow tie into each other and there's colors and shades and different textures and different moods and different uh vibes and sounds all put together so that you know, I wouldn't use the word progressive, but it has, again, that sort of Pink Floyd characteristic, that Roger Waters characteristic of where he's sort of creating a mood where the the tones and the sounds and the way he uses the studio that you're getting these different said the keyboards, like you said, the way the things are are layered, uh, layered throughout it and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's 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 very interesting and they had a they had a video for the song uh, bombers and i don't remember seeing it at the time but like i said before i was living in a studio apartment i didn't have a tv for years so it could have been on mtv but i didn't see that till two years yeah. and years later wow. and with ozzy being on one of the songs i mean we're talking 1990 had Ozzy released No More Tears yet? I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But it's that era of Ozzy. Ozzy is very big. Ozzy is very popular at the time. So just having Ozzy on that track, I'm sure you would have thought that the record company could have promoted it just alone with former Black Sabbath drummer Bill Ward and two songs featuring featuring Ozzy Osbourne. But there, there are... Apparently, they're uh, the original record label. It's listed as Chameleon and uh, Capital, which I guess Chameleon was a uh, subsidiary of Capital. And that side of it went bankrupt. So the uh, cover, yeah, Chameleon Capital. So the cover that you see with the one-man band thing, uh, originally it was a black cover, which is if you were to buy the CD, the, the last version of the CD, it's this sort of black cover with with Bill, with silhouette of Bill there. Uh, but Chameleon went out of business, I guess, or something. Uh, and they 
the second pressings of this or the later pressings of this then turned into the one man band a cover so maybe something to do with chameleon going going out of business that affected sounded like it happened right when the album was coming out so maybe that affected how it was promoted and i don't know if bill ever intended to have any kind of touring band you know if it was strictly meant as it was this is just going to be a studio thing he was just going to bring in uh, studio musicians there's an interesting interview you can see with bill and it, it's rather lengthy it's like maybe 10 minutes long or something like that and it's right from when this album came out and it's with like mtv europe or something like that and he talks about i remember him saying like we made a list of like some musicians that we would like to have on the record. And he goes, and I put Jack Bruce on there and I just thought it was like a joke. Like, yeah, right. Jack Bruce is going to Jack Bruce from cream is going to play on one of my albums. And, and he was said he was shocked, you know, when, when Jack agreed to do it. And so I, I think maybe from the beginning for Bill, it was always meant to just be like a studio type of thing, you know, I don't know. And so maybe that sort of factored into, and again, the timing, we're talking 91, like you mentioned, you mentioned Soundgarden, Louder Than Love. And when I, uh, my wife working at the radio station back in 1990, they had a huge Soundgarden, Louder Than Love picture poster hanging in the radio station because the winds were starting to change, you know? So, so the timing of this was really bizarre. Black Sabbath was uh, not in the mainstream really at this point, they weren't selling a lot of records. So maybe if Bill had released this in 1985 or something in 1986 with just coming off of recording born again with black Sabbath, maybe it would have sold it, sold a little bit more, but as it stands, it's kind of this, this hidden, this little sort of hidden gem. And I think people that, do have this album really once you get past the fact that it doesn't sound like black sabbath don't don't expect there to be anything uh black sabbath like about it there's there's a lot of uh stuff to really enjoy on this record and, and i'm okay with the production on it i mean it does sound a little it does sound like they were straining the budget that that they had but uh but i'm okay with it i think it's easy on the ears i have like an original cd pressing of it so i have no idea if somewhere along the line. I think that Bill owns the rights to this recording now. I think if you go to his website or something, or at least at one point in time, you could buy this and his other uh, solo stuff, When the Bow Breaks and Accountable Beasts. You could buy it directly from Bill's site. I don't know if that's that's still the case, but uh, yeah. I'm actually going to, I'm going to buy it on, on vinyl. I found a found a discog seller that's selling it. it it's not cheap but I, I don't mind spending a little extra for it um I, I spent a lot of money on my black sabbath collection as it is and uh i i, I like it enough to own it on vinyl i i have it on cassette and, and, and like i said i i'm just not maybe maybe my cassette's a little bit worn out or maybe from hasn't been stored properly or something but it just doesn't really sound very good. I'd like to at least make one final assessment after owning it on vinyl and at least hear how it sounds on, on vinyl. Well, a vinyl master, maybe that might make a difference. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back to the cover, one last thing before we go track by track. 
after at first the cover strikes you as as odd you would think well if you're going to promote the album from a former or yeah former black sabbath drummer you would you would try to put it frame his picture a little differently maybe get some of that sabbath imagery involved in it try to sell it man this is like a bad marketing tactic to put bill in this, <laughs> in this <laughs> context on this album as a one-man band it's like you might you you wouldn't even know that it was a hard rock you wouldn't even know there was a yeah. rock and roll record you know i know it's very but you get all the way through the album and you listen to it and then you look at the album it's like ah it makes perfect sense. This is the perfect album cover for this record. I mean, for me, from my perspective, yeah. it's so, it's so. I, I don't know. I want to say cerebral, but it, it it's beyond that. It's 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 kind of like it's. It reminds me a little bit of it has sort of Monty Python British tongue and cheek kind of humor. Yeah. There's, there's, there's an undercurrent of humor in here, but I it, it's not. It, it's so subtle. It just kind of gets wrapped in with all the other emotional things that are going on that you, you can there's some fear there's you can hear there's a little bit of depression there's some desperation there's there's an emotional really strong emotional content in this album and uh, like like a, I, the feelings that i'm getting like desperate desperately uh wanting to to you know instill love in the hearts of man and you know this courageous this, this thing with you know bill was just like one of those guys from from what we can gather and what we've heard him say in the press and what, what little we've actually read about bill and and heard him say in the press you get you do get the feeling that he's a very heart on his sleeve kind of a yeah. person like the way that he tried to struggle to get that last black sabbath album yeah you know to the finish line <clears throat> you know that he's very passionate about what he does and i'm sure he's very passionate about the music and that's why in his entire lifetime he only has two solo albums and you know they were both spelt, spaced pretty well apart but for this one it's like this was pretty much everything that i guess all the baggage that he had been carrying through all the years in black sabbath and away from that apart from that in his personal life and who knows what else everything that all the baggage that he's carried from then until this point until he went in and recorded this or we started writing this album this is this is the the, the bill ward the person that is bill ward and that's what makes the album so so interesting and so special is that maybe you got to be a little bit older i think i i i wasn't i don't think i would have been able to, and i i didn't recognize it at the time i didn't thought well this is bizarre it's just kind of like it's just a weird album what why is he doing this why is it so weird come on bill you want to hear Black Sabbath type stuff. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't something that he could do. It's obviously it's not where his his head and his heart were. And uh, now, now I get it. Now I understand it. It makes total sense. Yeah, and uh, ironically, his his next album, When the Bow Breaks, is probably even more like uh, it's sort of like his final cut. You know, it's very yeah. subdued. And and then his third one, Accountable Beasts, is sort of a mixture of maybe of the two where uh but yeah he's he's definitely an interesting guy he doesn't seem to want to sort of play it safe or anything he's 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 like a true artist you know bill writes poetry bill he draws he's an artist he does he just an explorer 
of feelings and emotions. So, all right, well, let's let's take a look at the uh, the songs then. So the album opens with uh, Mobile Shooting Gallery. This is one that uh, features Eric Singer mm-hmm. on drums. And uh, it's a cool opener. It's got some of the sound effects and stuff like that, again, sort of bringing up this uh, Pink Floyd uh, vibe to it. So, yeah, it's a cool one. It kind of comes out with, with a lot of energy and uh, good album opener. Yeah, it's, it's a good album opener. It kind of gets things. It, it's it serves as a good introduction. <clears throat> there's some there's some there's a lot of things going on. There's the uh, the voices the the like sound like old news broadcasts mm-hmm. setting setting the pace for I guess whatever the concept is that Bill had intended. Uh, and I guess this is where it starts to to become fleshed out. Um, Right off the bat, you got the first three songs from from Mobile Shooting Gallery to Short Stories to Bombers Can Open Bombays is almost like one one song in in the way that, that it flows. But but this getting kicking things off, um, we both agree that there's that there's a Roger Waters vibe to this album. But I'm also hearing on on this particular track a little bit of David Gilmour on yeah. his about face album a little bit with the guitar so it's <clears throat> it's got that kind of pink floydish later i guess you could say 80s pink floyd kind of vibe going on um and uh some ambiance like i said it, it it's a good way to kick off the album and get things uh get things started so mobile shooting gallery oh and also it uh on bass features gordon copley who we might know from uh, <laughs> one of our your trivia questions, your, your uh, favorite bass player in Black Sabbath. Yeah, my favorite bass player. I'll never forget <laughs> the name from now on. Uh, but he played on uh, Tony's Seven Star. <clears throat> he played on one track, No Stranger to Love. Gordon Copley, the infamous Gordon Copley. Uh, Eric That's Singer. It. Yeah, Eric Singer is on drums, and this is where we first come in contact with uh, Rue Phillips, who is a he was on every song, I believe. He is part of the Bill Ward band. He he is on every every song on the album, and uh, he's on guitar. And uh, Bill Ward does lead vocals on this one. So, and I do like the way the song it ends in this big sort of dramatic, like all this stuff yeah. going on. It's very yeah. bombastic, it, yeah. and then it segues into the short short stories which is only like about a minute long or so and this is sort of acts it's just like a little interlude thing with the piano and everything and then it goes into uh bombers can open bomb bays and ozzy's voice on this this is again where it really makes me think like man if can you imagine ozzy bill bob daisley and randy Rhodes? as as much as i love lee kerslake's drumming on on those records but or jakey lee or whoever you know but just imagine bob daisley ozzy and and bill being the main songwriters in a situation because it i don't know how much of this is is bill pushing ozzy in this direction you you sort of get ozzy doing some different things here he's singing lower in his range for for parts of it which i think sounds sounds really cool uh it's just a cool song. It, 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 again, the, it doesn't, the arrangement of it is, is kind of 
strange. Uh, it doesn't follow your typical verse, chorus, verse, chorus type of thing. I, I like the the feel of it in the verses. You get some distorted guitar, so it's kind of heavy, but it's not heavy in a bludgeoning Black Sabbath, Iron Man type of way. It's more heavy and like a creepy kind of strange way. Ozzy's voice, of course, adds to that, you know, makes really makes me realize anytime you add Ozzy's voice to anything, it almost always gives it like a a certain uh, certain creepy uh, vibe to it. I remember Zach Wilde joking once that uh, when they'd be on the tour bus, they'd sometimes ask Ozzy to sing Christmas songs and stuff like that, and they'd all laugh because you know, no matter what Ozzy sings, it sounds it sounds kind of creepy and scary. But I just I really like Ozzy's. Uh, voice on this and the whole like it's up to you you know you yeah. that whole stuff is really really cool and uh it's not a song that i mean they they repeat the the title of the song but it's not like one of these typical choruses where they just repeat the title a whole bunch of times and i just love what ozzy does with his voice and it's just such a strange song but it's so catchy uh, I love Ozzy being pushed in this direction. You know, Ozzy at this point is starting to become this big mainstream person, the ultimate sin, you know, where he's 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 not sort of challenging him, himself that much anymore. And when I hear this, I'm like, wow, you know, this is, can you imagine Bill and Ozzy working on an entire record together and having Bill there really kind of, moving Ozzy into some different uh, creative type territories and hearing Ozzy sing over a song like this, it almost again feels a little progressive almost in, in yeah. some ways. This is just a great song. I love it. Love Ozzy's vocals on this. Yeah, me too. I, I, I like, I like the chorus. I, I mean, I like when it, it you're, it's Ozzy's vocals instantly recognizable. I, I like what he does. I like what he brings to the song. Um, it, whenever and then Geezer said it too. Whenever you know, he would give Ozzy lyrics, and he's like, "My God, if he didn't just take those lyrics and make them like he wrote them himself." Um, yeah, you know, people criticize Ozzy a lot for uh, not writing the lyrics. Oh, other people did everything for Ozzy, and, and by and large, that's true. But when he, even if it was someone else's lyrics, he could sing them in a way that he he it sounded like they were coming from his heart, even if he didn't write them, and this song he he's doing exactly that i also like how he sings that when you said that he he goes out of his comfort zone maybe and into the lower lower octaves when he's like try being happy yeah. like yeah. so it's like oh it's just like it's almost chilling it's like yeah if you could see that line having more of like try you know having like an uplifting type of like melody to it but it's like minor and it's yeah. it makes it even more chilling and it's like it's it it's it's kind of like psychedelic in a way in a lot of the songs on here they're just out of proportion the 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 sound the way that the sound of some of the instruments the sound of the vocals various things going on the way they are like kind of juxtaposition to the content of the lyrics is like really bizarre but in a brilliant way it's like you're it's like well you know we're not going to express this particular lyric in a way that would be conventional we're going to express it in a way that's unconventional but in a way that serves the concept of the song and, and that's kind of what i get when he's like try being happy 
it's almost like the person who's whoever the protagonist is in this song whoever the, the central character is is unhappy then he's talking himself co trying to coax himself into being happy and he's doing it in this like this weird you know melancholy voice and it's it's so effective it, it's brilliant and again it's one of the things that i didn't pick up on when i was 21 but oh, yeah. I, I i'm glad you said the psychedelic thing because there is a little bit of a strange sid barrett like here here we are referencing pink floyd again but there's that, that sort of quirky weird like melodies that don't go to places that you think yeah. they would yeah. uh type of thing and again like you said i i like that word too the juxtaposition of certain sounds or certain riffs and it, it's it's a very well thought out record it doesn't nothing on this record feels like oh yeah we just got together in the studio and we cracked some beers and jammed some riffs like it doesn't sound like that at all this sounds very kind of thought out i'm kind of surprised that bill doesn't have a production uh credit on it you mentioned earlier uh peter r kelsey whoever that is is the producer uh, maybe it was just some money related thing but i just can't help but imagine that 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 bill was you know there directing this stuff and and even though he's not the sole writer on really, and I don't think on any of these songs, but still it, from a conceptual standpoint in, in the whole thing, I, I just can't help but think that, you know, Bill, Bill was a, a producer in some ways on this, although I've never heard him or, or anyone say that, but it's just a really cool song. And it just kind of makes you do one of those, like what ifs Ozzy and, bill yeah. were able to work together more you know that i think that they could have come up with some really really interesting stuff and i think that this is this is a good example of that yeah, i have so. some thoughts about that but i'm gonna wait until we get a few songs down i'm gonna wait till we get the jack slam before i i get into that but yeah you're you're right there the possibilities of of bill being involved even just with ozzy now you got to say at this point, so 1988, it looks like looking over the, the credits of when some of the copyrights for this material were issued, we're talking about 1988. So that would be Ozzy during No Rest for the Wicked. Um, it would be Tony around uh, Headless Cross a little later, 89, but in and around that, in and around that time. Um, yeah, like what if they all had gotten together again and put out an album what would it sound like um and and some of this some of this material on here if, if bill was a creative force or, or a creative um, influence in whatever music that they were putting together you could only think that wow it would be pretty amazing if, if they were actually not driven by record label people yeah, telling them exactly. oh you need a single you need something that's going to hit the Right now, kids are listening to this, so we need something that's going to kind of conform to these standards. If they just went in and just collaborated collectively on an album that was all about the music and not about the marketing strategy, it would probably be pretty, pretty incredible, or at least certainly something worthy of of being called Black Sabbath. I mean, and 
you could you could even say, well, one of the reasons why thirteen, the album thirteen, was such a was such a, a dud was because it was sounded so forced. It just sounded so regurgitated. Exactly. Somebody, somebody was yeah. in there telling them, "No, you need to sound like Black Sabbath," and you know, I'm going to tell you guys how. It's like what? I mean, that's the irony. It's like somebody else in the studio was telling them how to sound like what to do to make it a Black Sabbath album. Well, you got Black Sabbath here, minus Bill Ward. But if I bet if you put Bill Ward in that situation with Ozzy and Geezer and Tony and left them to their own devices, you just had a capable engineer uh, and you just let them go in and, and collaborate and write music. And I bet it probably would be a lot, a lot better than what the result of, of 13 was. And, and but when such I... is the music scene, I guess, you know, you, you know, yeah, and I've, I mean, I, I know I've talked about this in my YouTube channel. Not sure if I've talked about it here on the podcast. And I guess we won't go too far off on this tangent, but I've always thought that uh, Bill, his not being involved in the 13 album, that yes, that there was money involved, that it was a contractual thing. But I can't help but think that maybe the other guys too thought to themselves, they knew what kind of album that they were going to make before they even went in there. They sat down with the record label, with their accountants and their lawyers and their managers. And they all said, okay, we're going to make an album that sounds like the first three albums. And it's going to be this, there's going to be a song that sounds like an, I bet there's, you know, it, they had it all mapped out. That's why it sounds the way it sounds and not particularly adventurous. And I can't help but think that if Bill was there, that he would have been the guy complaining and like, no, we got to try to do, you know, he just would have been. And they probably sat back and said, you know what? He's complaining about money. And honestly, we don't want to get in a studio and have to be arguing with Bill about the direction. And they, and they just let it go. And this album makes me realize that, when I think back to albums like Technical Ecstasy and Sabotage and really any of the albums, Master of Reality, and I, I now can kind of picture Bill in the room and saying like, hey, you know, guys, I think we need something different in this yeah. spot in the song, you know, yeah. and then I only say, how about this? <laughs> okay, how about if we, I'm going to change the feel, right, at this part, because I think it needs it, you know, and I could just picture that kind of being Bill's, thing in the band the guy that's kind of kind of there behind his drum set in the back of the room that just maybe he doesn't say a whole whole lot but when he interjects something in it's something that has a real impact on the song almost in like a producer kind of way like with arrangements and like sounds and moods and let's put this mood or this feel here you know he seems to be someone who you mentioned earlier he <laughs> always comes across as this real kind of spiritual kind of heart on his sleeve type of guy so yeah. after hearing this album i can i can kind of imagine I can see where Bill fits into the to the original into the original Sabbath, and I just can't picture him on the thirteen album. Not not I, the way the thirteen album turned out, I should say. I remember when you brought that up. We were doing a, it was a it was a Lair of the Alchemist video. I think it was uh, Will Sabbath do another album, and I think that was you you brought that into it, and I and I was like, well, yeah, you know, that distinct possibility that that could be. After reading Geezer's book recently, and there's something that Geezer says where his, and not to play into like any kind of a conspiracy theory here, but 
this unsignable contract was intended to be an unsignable contract. Exactly. Yeah. It was intended to be that way because they did not want Bill part of this. Now it could have been for health reasons. And that's, that's very likely. And his, his health was in, in shambles at that time. But it could have also been because they knew that they were going to go in. I'm, I'm assuming they knew. and it, it stands the reason they, they were probably aware of the fact. Well, I know that they knew that they were going to be working with Rick Rubin. And Rick Rubin tried to take a crack at it a few years earlier, and it didn't come, it didn't come to be. Now he was up to bat, and I think Rick Rubin basically had a lot of influence over the album 13. I think they, whoever the powers that be, Sharon Osbourne, possibly, maybe Gloria Butler, I'm going to lean more into the Sharon Osbourne theory, didn't want anybody coming in there and messing with the game plan. You know, yep. These guys are going to go in. Rick Rubin's going to tell them what to do. They're going to get in. They're going to get out. They're going to tour. They're going to call it a day. You know, that's and make it. a lot of money and go home. Make a lot of money. You know, we don't want to belabor this thing. We don't want to get too creative. We don't want to turn this into a fiasco. We don't want this to be a Black Sabbath album where people are being creative or anything. <laughs> we yeah, just right. want to check the boxes and put it out then move along and everybody gets paid and everybody's happy and you guys can all retire and, and take a break and whatever putting bill in there i think they might have considered it to be a challenge to that plan and so an unsignable contract was devised where you know if they wanted bill in there it would have been a signable contract yeah, there would have been so enough right. equity in that contract i'm thinking to make it so that he would not have a, as much of an issue signing on but they made it so that he would have difficult time signing on to that so yeah i, I think what you said now that i now that they've gotten a little bit further into this you know and, and after reading user's book i i agree with you I, I think that he was omitted by design so all right well next song on the album is pink clouds and island and this was a song that when i heard this for the first time I didn't know what was going on. This was so weird. I remember I remember liking Bombers with Ozzy on it. And then this song comes on and I was just like, what is this? I just did not get this. Fast forward to today and I can say that I absolutely love this song. The mood in it, uh, the just the feel of the whole thing you you talked about some of these some of the lyrics now i'm just going to read the the first verse here pink clouds and island it's a place where i can hide selfishly i cling to parts of me i'm afraid i might find you know it's just ah, in the mood of this whole thing uh with like the hand percussion it's kind of going on it's got this weird like kind of rhythm tribal like rhythm going on mm -hmm. underneath yeah. it the vocals are really strange he's doing this sort of half speaking half singing he's singing but he's like singing real quietly uh it just has a really strange mood to it and uh i remember the first time i heard it in that whole thing at the end where he's repeating that and it really doesn't matter matter you know i was just like what is this i i, I thought it sounded so ridiculous but yeah. now 
I just, I just love it. And then the way it follows, again, this album is sequenced very, very well. The way it follows Bombers, I think is, it's just perfect that the mood change of it. And I just, I just like the ominous mm -hmm. uh, floating vibe uh, to the whole thing. Yeah. It, 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 this also has, and it's funny because there's pink in the title. And this is one of the songs that remind me the most of, of Pink Floyd, say like something from, um, uh, what was the um, not the delicate sound of thunder because I think that was the live album. What was the studio album that they did with uh, Division Bell and uh, a momentary Division lapse Bell. of reason? Momentary lapse of reason. I was that was the one I was trying to think of, but yeah, Division Bell too. It, it kind of has a bit of that vibe. It's it's proggy, it's Floydish, psychedelic. Um, I like it a lot too, and, and I I agree that coming after Bombers is really good placement for it. Um, because Bombers is kind of like from the beginning up to that point and including that, it's like that's sort of the a bit of a climax, and then we're gonna come back down. We're still not at the end of side one yet, but we're we're coming off what could be like an early climax of, of the musical progression of this album and coming down a little bit on pink clouds on an island. Um Gordon Copley's back again on bass. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Singer's back on drums for this one. Zach Wilde is on lead guitar. Which yeah, means, we forgot to mention that Zach's it, on this it, record. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't sound like Zach. It no, has it a really bluesy you know, to, to Zach's credit. Because at this point, you know, he was like blazing it up on uh, No Rest for the Wicked. But man, yeah. he's very tasteful, very Gilmore-ish. And that's one of the reasons why I say that it kind of reminds me, it has a Floyd vibe to it because... A lot of it is, is very, it, the guitar is very integrated into the song and it's very bluesy. Um, Bill's on lead vocals. Um, got to mention that Bombers also, we got Bob Daisley on bass, which is pretty cool. It's one of the few yeah. songs. But, uh, Bob's only on a couple songs on this album, so I wanted to mention the song that he was on. So Bombers can open Bombay's. We got Bob Daisley, Bill Ward, and Ozzy. You know, maybe that's like sort of, Kind of an abstract in an alternate universe that's a that's an, yeah. another version of the blizzard of oz right yeah right right but anyway yeah pink clouds on an island um very cool i like it a lot Three. okay <laughs> uh light up the candles let there be peace tonight here was another one when i first heard this record i i think i bailed on it actually after this song it was just so strange i couldn't couldn't wrap my head around it. I gotta say now it's it's maybe it's not my favorite song on the album. We've got Jack Bruce on bass and vocals on this one. Uh it's probably the most happy-ish sounding song on this record. I can't help but when I hear this, think of like a Christmas yeah. song, people holding candles outside and John Lennon uh maybe you know maybe there's that influence on this too it has kind of a happy john lennon uh feel to it uh not my favorite song on the record uh but it kind of serves as a contrast to what's been before it here it's sort of a palate cleanser if you will you know we've had some pretty yeah. intense bombers and pink clouds is is pretty moody and everything and this sort of shines a little bit of a ray of hope uh into the whole thing but when you read the lyrics too it's more sort of introspective uh 
uh, type of lyrics, you know, light up the candles, let there be peace tonight, throw out the pain that made you cry. And I can't help but when you read these now and when you think we haven't really talked about this, but at this point in Bill's life, after Born Again, I mean, Bill had basically lost, lost it all. I mean, you can listen to Bill tell the stories about he was basically you know, face down in a gutter. And when people say, you know, down and out, hitting rock bottom, I mean, Bill had pretty much hit hit rock bottom in his life. I'm not exactly sure at this point where he was with his sobriety. I think he was turning his life around and coming out of, you know, probably the lowest point in his life, that time between Born Again and in this album. That's part of the reason why no one had heard anything from Bill because he was, he was completely... Uh, uh, down and out. So when you read these lyrics and you think about where Bill was uh, in his life, you can, so you hear a lot of things about hope and desperation and new life and renewal and, and, and moving forward and finding peace and inner peace and stuff like that. So that's kind of when I hear these lyrics, I, I can't help but think, you know, think of Bill yeah. and where he was in his life. Yeah, yeah, it it's, uh, comes from a uh, an authentic place in his uh, in his soul. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of soul in this album, and the lyrics are they're 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 so personal. It's like they it really is is very difficult for you to extract a meaning. I mean, you could be kind of like creative with it and. You know, interpret them however, however I guess you 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 want. But there's ultimately there's a meaning behind them, and I think only Bill really knows the exact meaning behind them. Um, but you know, again, the way where this song is placed uh, makes sense because the song that follows, "Snakes and Ladders," brings things up, and this is really the first time you were getting more of like a a metal kind of a rocking thing going on here. Rue Phillips is taking center stage. Not crazy about Rue Phillips' vocals. Um, it's a little intense for me. He's not a bad singer. Um, he's got kind of like a bit of a bite to his voice, which yeah, a little sharp on the ears, um, which I, I don't, I don't mind that too much, but it's just, it's, in, it, there is no, it needs to dial, be dialed back a little bit. It's really intense. Yeah. Uh, the song, but the guitar playing is cool. Um, a lot of, a lot of digital effects. It sounds pretty eighties. The guitar tone isn't really, it, it's not, it's not my style, but I mean, you got to put it in its historical context and think, well, you know, when I heard it at the time, it, it kind of made sense, but that, that really hasn't aged too well. Um, but uh, who else we got here? Uh, we got Marco Mendoza. Marco Mendoza on bass. Yeah, and he actually has a has a lot of nice, uh, some really nice playing. On this, He's no Gordon on Copley though. But, <laughs> well, actually, I, and I'm, I mean that half seriously. Gordon Copley, you can hear he's like most of it. I think is fretless, and it's like yeah, it's very noticeable bass. But um, yeah, Gordon Copley, man, he's he's uh he's a star of the show. Uh, I agree with you about this one. This is sort of a, you know, it's, it's the most heavy metal quote sounding song on the album because yeah. And, and his vocals on it are real kind of like sounded like he could have been in. Yeah. And he could have been in some, one of these generic, 
eighties, late eighties, uh, metal type. British type metal bands. Band. Yeah. I, it has I, very sort of stereotypical heavy metal kind of yeah. sh shouty intense type of, yeah. of voice. Pretty British, pretty British sounding. Um, and it's it, overall, the, the overall tone is very British though. I mean, it, it fits in. And like, the only problem I have with, with it is that they're just intense. It's very sharp on the ears, it's a very sharp sound. And it's really, it's the, it's consistently that way from beginning to end. In fact, it starts out pretty like pretty sharp, pretty cutting, and then it only gets worse at certain points. And then it comes back down just a little bit, but then it goes back up again. It's like, ah, you're hurting my ears. And his vocals are so distinctly different from, from what we know, all Jack Bruce's vocals, which are always, you know, Jack Bruce is somewhat of a crooner. And, and, and Bill, when Bill sings, he's a little bit of a crooner too. Although I like, of anybody singing on here other than Ozzy, I mean, I like, I like when Bill sings. I like hearing Bill's voice. He's got a very earthy sounding voice. Yeah. He's very expressive, and and yeah. you know, singing his lyrics, it it, it sounds really good. Um, it really, I mean, I I the, the way that the backstory that you talked about with you know he put Jack Bruce's name on a list of people, and lo and behold, Jack Bruce accepted. But do we really need Jack Jack Bruce on this album? No, but it, I mean it's cool that he is, and I think his son is Malcolm Bruce, and he plays guitar on uh, "Light Up the Candles," last song we were talking about. But um, yeah, for "Snakes and Ladders," I I'd be curious to hear what it would sound like with Bill singing, or maybe another one with Ozzy. But we've got this guy Rue Phillips, and uh, yeah, it's okay, not crazy yeah. about it, but it is what it is. All right. Well, next is the uh, next Ozzy song on here, Jack's Land. And uh, I, I really like this one, too. Again, yeah. I, when I hear this, I just can't help but think like, man, I could hear this on like Diary of a Madman. I could so mm -hmm. hear like Randy playing on this. It's it's pretty heavy, like the verse riff. There is some chugging guitar in it. The guitar is not super loud in the mix. It's not all about the guitar here. There's a real kind of creepy like keyboard line in it Ozzy's melody in the verse is uh just really interesting yeah. uh, it, it's just the, the, the like kind of bridge chorus section of the song I, I I think I just love Ozzy's melody on that and man it just again it just sounds to me so much like Diary of a Madman <clears throat> yeah. era Ozzy it, it, it has that kind of vibe it, it sounds very it sounds very, I don't know how to describe it, serious, like down to business, musicians being, has a musicians being creative vibe to it, not musicians playing for the industry or musicians playing for the uh, the marketability of the music that they can create. But this is like actually musicians, good musicians being creative, putting on putting on their thinking caps and, and being uh, creative and expressive. Um, we got Bob Daisley. Ozzy, Bill Ward. Just think if we had Randy on this one, how cool that how cool would that be? But um Exactly. I could totally, totally just, hear that. Yeah, this is probably my favorite. I mean, I love Bombers. And I and I like every song on here, but the, the standout tracks for me are definitely Bombers. Um uh, there's another one a little bit later that I think is really cool. Um music for a raw nerve ending. We'll get to 
discussion about that in a few minutes. But um, Jack Slam is probably my favorite song on this. I think this just really has a very, very cool vibe. It's, it's a little dramatic, but it, it's heavy. Um, not an overbearing way, but in just the right way to kind of get this message across. And um, yeah, it's, it's the highlight on this album for me. And Ozzy sounds great on it too. He sounds like he's really yeah. not and... trying to sound like Ozzy. He's trying, he's singing to serve the song. And I appreciate that about that it. whole like a bridge, song. that whole bridge thing when it's, it's like a, it's a simple enough dance boys. It's like, Oh man, that melody there is just so great. Yeah. And again, yeah, it's just a, just a fantastic song. So, okay. Uh, next we move on to, living naked uh this is uh this is one that doesn't jump out at me a whole lot maybe this is maybe the most forgettable song on the record for me it's so it's okay but coming off of uh what we just heard uh it doesn't stand out as much in my in my mind as as we had there with jack's land and some of the other ones I don't think it's a it's a key track on the album, but what I do appreciate about it is it has <clears throat> it's more of into is one of a couple songs that have a heavy Sabbathy vibe. This is, has kind of a doomy, got a doomy riff. It's not the right guitar tone to really make it as effective as it could be, at least not in a Black Sabbath kind of way. But it seems like the effort is there to kind of be a callback to that that style yeah. of music. I'm, I'm hearing you know a heavy Sabbathy doomy a doomy riff it, it's more on the slower paced side of things here and we are getting into different and there's one thing i another thing i appreciate about the album is there's different different tempos a lot of different musical movements a lot of different expressions and now up to bat is the heavy sabbathy doomy riffing song and and this is what living naked is pretty much here got a haunting aspect with the vocals um it's got some synthy stuff synthesizers going on it's kind of creepy um in the context coming after jack's land i think it's a good place for it good as any i mean i i'm not sure i could hear living naked coming any sooner in the album because i think the sequence from beginning up to and including jack's land is pretty much spot on where it should be it's a nice cycle of songs there so Living naked, introducing that heavy, plodding, Sabbathy, doomy vibe, I think is a good place for it. Um, but you're yeah. right. I mean, it's not, it's not one that I would drop the needle on, but I certainly don't mind hearing it when it comes up. So, yeah. All right. Next is music for a raw nerve ending uh, with its strange title. But uh, this is another really cool one. I love that sort of main rifter and the way it's bill uh this is bill on vocals on this one right uh the way bill sings this the way bill sings this one is very uh menacing almost and and the lyrics are so bizarre i'm at night an undertaker i do do the dirty work for thee and after doing ask this question what in the hell are you to me i mean that's just yeah that's very Push, Very push, push, this silly little boy. Yeah, it's just yeah. so strange. And that riff is so sort of creepy. ominous and creepy yeah. sounding. It's it's really cool. You know what I really like about this? It is very subtle. 
the low key on the piano. Boom. Oh yeah. That is so cool. It's just like one note, but it's at the right position. It reminds me actually there's an instrumental on the first King Diamond solo album, Fatal Portrait, where he does uh, I forget what this name of the song is, but it's an instrumental where it has like a, like this uh chugging guitar rip and and every so often he hits a couple keys on the piano, the low keys, and it gives it like this really ominous vibe. That's happening here, but it's it's happening at like it's it's even more effective and creepy because the song is kind of chugging along. It's you know, again, this is another one that has a heavy Sabbathy vibe and then has that low piano key like boom, boom, boom. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. Oh like, yeah, absolutely, man. That's yeah, just it's really cool. And there's not a lot of not a lot of people on this on this track here. We've got bass drums, guitar, Bill's on lead vocals. Um drums bill's playing drums on it bill's actually playing piano so he's the one that's hitting that one key so kudos to bill for that because i really enjoy that <laughs> this uh, is what i mean this is what i mean by like him having this sense of yeah. like okay it just that mm -hmm. one little yes. thing yeah. it's these yeah. very small details that it, he seems to have a good sense of like creating this this kind of the right atmosphere and everything like that again it sort of shocks me that he's not listed as a producer on it but he just bill seems to have a really good sense of how to how to build a song you know and add just yeah. these little little details to it that make something stand out and make it make it sound different so yeah you this know, this is a really cool one it's a cool one and i can i can almost hear this on born again if you if you give it a murky production, yeah, integrate it in that kind of production sound, the mix, whatever, you gave it the same mix treatment as the rest of the material on Born Again, I think this would probably fit on Born Again um, as far as the, the content being really dark and, and Sabbath-y. Um, so, I mean, if, if you're going to, if you haven't heard this album and, you're, and we've kind of maybe turned you off from checking it out because we're, we've been busy talking about all the different things that are going on that aren't very Sabbathy, you know, psychedelic, progressive, soulful, whatever, whatever. If, if you're hoping that maybe there's something on this album that has a bit of a Sabbathy vibe to it, but I would say that this one definitely does. And the last song, um, Living Naked. Yeah, I don't think you'd be too disappointed after you heard those songs. Um, yeah. but, but definitely this one. I think this is uh, something that would be right up the right up your alley if you're uh, looking for some Sabbathy type vibes. Yeah. All right. Next is uh, Tall Stories. Uh, this one's a little forgettable for me. It's it's at least in Living Naked. There's it's kind of an interesting rhythm thing going on. This one this one kind of goes goes by me. There isn't really a whole lot that that jumps out at me yeah there's a lot of people involved with this um it, it, it has kind of a um this is one that has a little bit more of a bounce to it, it it's a little bit soulful the, the 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 chorus or even maybe the maybe just the verses the the vocal parts of a lot of like kind of it's a little bit more and i would consider it soulful it's you can hear there's um i guess i would expect to hear maybe some 
background vocals, some female background vocals holding yeah. out notes or something like that. It has kind of a little bit of an R and B, slightly funky, but don't want that to mislead anybody. It's not a funky song, but it, it does have a little bit more. By contrast with the rest of the material, I would say that it's it's a little funky in, in that it has a little bit more bounce to it. We've got a lot of people working on this song here too. We got Jack Bruce on bass. We got a didgeridoo. <laughs> we had to wait all this time to get to the didgeridoo. Finally got to the didgeridoo portion of the album. Uh, we've got Steve Friedman who's working that didgeridoo like nobody's business. Uh, Bill's singing lead on this one. So I'm happy to hear that. Um, guitar, we've got Keith Lynch, who also played the uh, guitar on the last song, Music for Raw Nerve Ending. Yeah. Got some harmonica players. We got two dudes playing harmonica: Dave Gage, <laughs> and Frank Silvagni. Got some keyboards. Mike. It's kind of strange, right? Like that they have Dave Gage in there, and they're like, "Dave, you're doing a good job," but we just feel like you know, we just need something different with the harmonica. Somebody call Frank Silva Silvagni. Bring in the baritone <laughs> harmonica player. <laughs> uh, and we got Jack Bruce joining in on some lead vocals. In fact, actually, I think. I think Jack is primarily singing. You know, there are times when the two of them pair, Bill and Jack Bruce, pair really well, and it's hard to. They sound very similar in some ways. Yeah. yeah, it's funny when they when they when they move their voice to suit to harmonize with one another. They're they're almost indistinguishable, um, which is cool. Got an extra percussion, just uh, an individual known as Leonice. Maybe that's how you pronounce it. Maybe I'm being too fancy with it. Maybe it's just Leonice. But I'm going to go with Leonice because he's playing percussion. So Leonice on percussion. Rue Phillips back on sly guitar and vocals. Um, so we got, oh, and I got another person, Lorraine. We do have some female vocals. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of keeps that soulful vibe. Maybe that's what reinforced that soulful vibe that I was hearing. So many singers on this. I guess maybe the Lorraine Perry's vocals were kind of pushed a little bit more into the background, but maybe my ears did detect that. Um, but eh, interesting it's a cool song um don't dislike it but again it's not one of the ones i'm going to drop a needle on but enjoyable for the most part all right next we have sweep uh this is an interesting one it almost has like a new wave-ish punt that keyboard at the beginning always makes me think of bob o'reilly by the who but yeah you know it's very upbeat it's it's a very it's a very different feel than uh Probably the fastest song on the record. I mean, the opening song, Mobile Shooting Gallery, is pretty fast, but it has a different vibe to it. This has a has a sort of an uplifting uh, feel to it. Interestingly, it's uh, writing credit to solely to Bill on this one. This one, music for a raw nerve ending, uh, and Pink Clouds and Island are the only ones that have Bill as the sole writer. All the rest have him collaborating with uh with other people so yeah this is this is a strange one it's the feel of it is really really <laughs> i don't know how to describe it it's 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 kind of kind of upbeat and and energetic and everything again i can't help but think of like something you might have heard from like an 80s slightly heavy 80s new wave uh, yeah it's, it's a, actually it's a little bit um it reminds me of two things it, it, it's not a it's not a favorite track on this album but uh, I don't dislike it, but it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of the the finale of Genesis, The Land Lies Down, um, one of the last tracks on that album. 
and uh, and it also reminds me of uh, what else was I going to say? Kind of like the um, the ending. It's like the crescendo, not the not not the the very final ending, but it's like the wind up. We're going to wind start to wind things up here, and we've gone through all these other expressions. You've you've got the intro, you've got the build up, and you've got the plateau where we're getting the concept across. And now we're going to start to wind it out. That that's kind of what this reminds me of, and in the sequence of the way that the album is sort of the plot of the album, the plot line of the album. This seems to make sense in its placement as a second to the last song. It's not a bad song, but it is it is one of the more faster songs. It's a bit up tempo, and and I think um, it kind of plays the same placement, even though it's not the last song on the record. It's kind of the last song. Because yeah. as we get to the last song here, it's the it's uh you know the the technical last song on the record is a very short little thing. So this ends with all those sound effects and uh, TV samples and stuff like that, and it sort of yeah. brings you back to the way the album started, where Mobile mm -hmm. Shooting Gallery was the same type of thing with the sound effects, and it sort of ends in this big sort of crashing type of thing and then the, the sound effects so you get the same thing here so this does sort of wrap up the album in the same way that uh it ties us back into the to the way the the first song on the album mobile shooting gallery which was also kind of a fast one but where that one's a little darker this one is a little bit more yeah beat and uh and then it takes us to the very last track on the album along the way which is just a short little uh Three minutes and nine seconds uh, kind of always felt to me like kind of a little coda, a little final thing kind of wrapping up the uh, uh, wrapping up the album, you know, yeah, and like if you sure. listen to the to the lyrics here, me, I'm just being here. My heart cries out, but no one's near. I'm just being here down City Road after the darkest day. I have been heard to say nothing feels better than being so close to you. Um, yeah, it just has Home that. Uh, yeah, and even at the very end of it, doesn't it? What he's goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. You know, goodbye. just that little quick, yeah. short little, short little thing there. So but that little whistle, whistling outro. Yeah, yeah he's, he's walking away. You know, <laughs> definitely the finale of the album. Where I guess you could arguably say that "Sweep" is the last song. This is just sort of the okay. Well, you know, thank thank you, good night, everybody. I mean, he actually even says goodbye, so it's almost like okay. Well, as you know, the curtain's fallen, and all the musicians have taken their bow. Well, Bill comes in front of the curtain to just yeah. time before everybody, you know, the house lights come on, and everybody leaves. Right, um, exactly. Kind of like the purpose of this song, and uh, yeah, it uh, it ends it in uh, in a good way. It's, it's a pretty much like okay you know there's there's nothing there's nothing else to do here <laughs> this is where we're ending it you know we've started it in a uh, in a conceptual way and and likewise ending it in a conceptual way or at least in a way that's consistent with the concept of the album so it buttons sure. it up buttons it up really nicely and puts a bow on it so there you have bill ward ward one along the way yeah all right well uh there you go. Uh, we, you know, we, we'll be honest with you. We weren't one hundred percent sure if we were even gonna gonna make this episode. But after you know, we thought 
we would just move along to the next uh, album chronologically, which would have been Dio Lock Up the Wolves, which will be the next episode for us. But uh, on the suggestion of uh, one of our listeners and good friends, uh, Matthias, uh, he suggested, hey, you guys should do this album. And as we thought about it, we realized like, yeah, you know what? There, there is a lot to talk about here and we do have some memories with this album. So, so we hope you enjoyed it too. If, if you haven't heard this record, hopefully this inspires you to, to go out and, and check it out. It is hard to find. It's out of print and used copies of it are a little pricey, but you can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. If you just want to check it out, just, just to hear what it is. And, and you can find used CD copies of this yeah. for, for not, not too much, you know, they're for 20, $30. You can, you can pick up a, a good used copy of this. So, uh, yeah, we hope you all enjoyed this. Uh, if you would like to uh, leave some comments and communicate with us, we do have a Facebook page uh, over on Facebook at Into the Void of Black Sabbath Podcast. Uh, leave us some comments there or let us know what you think of the episode and what you think of this uh, of uh, Bill's album here. And uh, also, if uh, you can't get enough of us here, you can check out my YouTube channel, Layer of the Alchemist, and Darren and I do a thing we call Sabbath Sunday, which uh, we don't do it quite every Sunday, but you know, we do it pretty frequently. And we talk about Black Sabbath-related uh, topics that we don't get into here on the podcast. And uh, we just like to say, you know, we really do appreciate everybody's uh, everybody's support out there. And uh, if you would like to uh, help out and contribute uh, to the podcast because even though this is a labor of love for us there are some expenses that we that we deal with in relation to the podcast if you would like to help us in any way that you can uh, you can go to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash into the void a black sabbath podcast uh, any amount is is appreciated and uh, i will leave a link to the Kofi page in the description of the podcast. So thanks again to everybody. And uh, we'll see you at the next, uh, at the next one, which is going to be lock up the wolves. <laughs>